Welcome to the show. Paul George here with Adam Klonk. Adam, how are you doing today, man? Great, Paul. How are you? Good. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for listening today. That was kind of a weird intro by you. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're like super excited today, man. And I am, actually. Life is good. You're getting a new car. A yeah. used new car. but new to like, me. You're, <laughs> you're trading in this old, old janky. Well, so... Minivan. I'm, I'm uh, of the Catholic stripe where... I have lots of kids. I'm not saying everybody needs to be like that. But but you That's how I roll. You would self identify which with which having has a lot of kids. Serious consequences on your vehicles. People look at your family like either he's Catholic or Mormon. Yeah, I get Mormon sometimes. Yeah. Um in fact we were I was gonna get some pizza the other day in the big white van. Now this is the nine passenger big old thing extra 12 passenger not nine. Right. Y'all are currently a two van family. You have your old van <laughs> yeah. and then your wife has a new van. <laughs> You're getting rid of the old van. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was driving up in the big van to get some pizza, and the lady was like, is this one of those like nursing home vans? <laughs> I was like, yeah, or just <clears throat> me and my kids. Well, it's the same. Nursing home van or family van, you change diapers in both. Yeah, well, we're dumping the uh, the old van, which I've been driving around for a few years now, and it's, I mean, 17 years old. Like, it could almost... Yeah, if I could ex- describe this thing, it is it is a piece. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's ready to go. It's excrement on wheels. Yeah, yeah it's 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 about <laughs> like I literally picture you driving down the interstate and just spontaneously just combust into ashes. That's not far from reality. Yeah, that could happen. So it's good timing, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Great timing. And <clears throat> and you're super excited. Yeah. Well, you know, you ever get in the zone, Paul? Sometimes we get in the zone where it seems like everything's falling apart and all of our plans just go to pot. Yeah, all the time. Or you don't know what's going on and what God's mm-hmm. doing. But then you get into the zone of like, wow. It's all coming together. Yeah. It doesn't last forever, and I know that, but that's the zone I'm in, so I'm enjoying that zone. Good for you. Can I be honest? I hate buying vehicles. It stresses me out. Why? The anxiety. Like you feel like it's such a permanent decision? or No, well, it is, but vehicles cost a lot of money than what they used to. They're not cheap. They're not cheap. And here's one of the anxieties is, you know, kind of bargaining back and forth with different people and then knowing who you can trust that's true you know so i start to feel paranoid the suspicion the paranoia is this person lying to me are they just trying to you know woo me and of course they're trying to sell something you know Mm -hmm. i am all about a relationship and trust if i trust someone (laughs) i might go with you even if it's a little bit more expensive Mm -hmm. but i i get i get super anxious when it comes to making a big purchase like that I can imagine your face when you're like sitting at the desk and they're telling you all the features and stuff and you're just like, can I trust this guy? Dude, I wouldn't, I don't negotiate cars without my wife, man. Oh yeah. She's good at it. Oh, she's laser focused. (laughs) Yeah. She, she will, she will whittle you down. I'm the nice guy. I'm like, sure, buddy. Sure. We'll take it. Whatever you want to charge. Yeah. I, I, I believe you. I really don't. And my wife's like, no, we're whittling you down. We're going to get the best deal out of this. She's awesome. Good for her. So anyway, speaking of anxiety, I was reading this article. Um, you know, stress and anxiety and worry is at an all-time high. At least we know that through studies. And, of course, we have more information today than ever before, the ability to study the fact that people uh, have anxiety today than they used to. I tend to agree with the studies in a sense of the world's just changed. We have access to so many things. We're, we're so busy. We're so inundated. Um, you know, I'm not saying life is harder today than it was 100 years ago, but it's a lot different. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's changing a lot, which I think causes all the stress. It's, and anxiety. it's changing a lot. You know, I don't think we have more suffering than we did, you know, a hundred years ago. I mean, human existence, human life, uh, frailty, all those things are still here, but yeah, the changes, I think it, and at least in, in America. Yeah. Um, well, as you say that I'm reminded, yeah, there's the West and America and we we're on our iPhones and we're whatever, but then how much of the other parts of the world are in war and turmoil right now? I mean, it really is a stressful time for yep. the human race. And if it's yep. not technology and busyness and that kind of depression, it's run for your life, you know, go to another country type of stress. Yeah. And when I talk about anxiety, like, it, you know, it might not be clinical. I think we all struggle with some type of anxiety at some time. I get stressed. I'm worried. I'm fearful. Mm. I need a deep breath. I mean, bro, like none of us are void of those things. And I think oftentimes to, to, to say I'm void of any of those things in life is almost to live in denial. Yeah, you don't really know yourself well. You don't know yourself well. And almost to reject anxiety is anxiety in itself. Yeah. Is, does that make any sense? Yeah, because you're not working on any, any of the anxiety you actually have. Right. And so it's just going to snowball it's and just snowball. be a disaster. So anyway, uh, here, here's a quick article I was reading. Uh, f- feeling anxious, four things to stop doing right now. Ooh. I like that. I'm intrigued. <laughs> yeah. So just stop doing these when you start to feel anxious. Basically what they're saying is a lot of times we do one of these things okay. when we're anxious. So the first one is this. Um, wish anxiety away, which is my point. Huh. Stop wishing it away, pretending it's not there. Or that there's something wrong with me because it's there. Or like something's wrong with me because it's there. I just wish it wasn't here. Yeah. I shouldn't feel anxious. I shouldn't struggle with this. Wow. And I think the reality is just admitting, taking responsibility, owning it, you know, embracing it. And say, yeah, I mean, it's, this is a stressful time. I'm anxious right now or I struggle with this. I, there's a lot of freedom in embracing that um, and not ignoring it, pretending like it's not there. So like don't that. wish it away. I like that. Embrace it. Just and I think own as it. Christians, it's so important, Paul, because that's kind of our first inclination when we get stressed out is a little bit of guilt where if I really trusted Jesus and loved Jesus, I wouldn't feel anxious ever. Right. So we have this little guilt because I don't feel like I have everything together and I'm anxious, then I'm not a good Catholic or Christian. Exactly. Which is not the truth, right? It's not the truth. Yeah, I was having coffee with uh, lunch with a friend this week and there was just a lot of freedom in just talking and saying, yeah, I mean, you know, as a, as a person who I, I feel like has a strong foundation spiritually um, and, and, you know, tries to do good things and make good decisions and, and praise, uh, there are times where I have anxiety. Mm. And just admitting that is, is really important. I love, think, I love think it. It's okay. All right, so number two, uh, don't frantically seek answers. So, so here's what we do, okay? So here's what I do is like, uh, things are stressful. I, I don't like my job right now. Oh, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna spend hours uh, on the internet trying to find a new job and just mm-hmm. I'm or try to fix the problem. And then we hyper focus and we lose sight of the bigger picture. And actually, it builds more anxiety when we do that. Man, that's really good. That's really good. And I, th- you know, I think back to my spiritual direction over the years, and this was such a prominent theme because you go to spiritual direction, maybe something just happened that kind of rattled you or whatever, and they're like, hey, take a breath, calm down, don't try to solve this, just give it time, and it'll solve itself or it'll go away, and it it does. You know, like, I don't have to solve every problem. Exactly, and it says in this line, I love this line, is that the problem is that most of the things you get anxious about are threats that you can't completely eliminate. 
Mm. You can't do anything about them right now. So frantically trying to fix them uh, does the opposite, just builds more stress and anxiety. And this in our spiritual life, uh, it's called trust. Yeah. Lord, I got to just trust it and put it in your hands. There's nothing I can do. I can't change the reality of it. It's the situation. And I need to trust and not frantically try to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess there's this deep wound from sin where it's like an abandonment wound, but not because we abandoned, I mean, the God abandoned us, but we abandoned God right. to where we think he's not actually going to fix stuff. Like he actually doesn't care about us and he's not in our life ready to, to help guide us providentially toward a happy conclusion of any situation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, number three, uh, don't dwell in the worry. Dwell in the worry. I, this for me is huge. Like I, I tend to You're worry. You're a dweller? Yeah, or you know, I keep thinking about it. I keep thinking about it. I keep thinking about it, and and then what happens is I, I worry. Scripture talks about this a lot. It says, "Don't worry at all. Have no anxiety at all." Like like this idea that in the midst of our anxiety or our worry or our fear, uh, our, our our greatest call as a as a believer is to just trust, not fix it. Allow God to move. Allow God to be there. Allow God to enter into our suffering, our anxiety, and our worry. And, you know, oftentimes I know I tend to just let my mind keep going in the worry instead of just putting it aside and trusting. Hmm. I guess that takes a certain skill or virtue to be able to do that, right? Like you want to think about this over and over and over again, but you have to be able to stop yourself. That seems kind of difficult, huh? Yeah. I mean, sometimes we need to think of a solution. You know, I'm worried because, you know, I wrecked my car in a ditch. Well, I should call a wrecker to pull it out. Okay, so <laughs> it's not like I just need to walk away from it and just leave it right. there. So there's certain things that we can do. Uh, but but sitting in the, and dwelling in the things that we can't change in the moment uh, is not what I can do. How much is it going to cost? You know, what? where am I going to get it fixed? Like all these things, it just keeps building and building. Where, am I going to have to buy a new car? Or, you know, we're going to have to take money out of savings. It just keeps snowballing. We're going to go into debt. And before you know it, it's like your life's falling apart because your your car's in the ditch. Mm-hmm. And the reality is your car's in the ditch. It might cost you a little money, get it out, and ultimately it's going to be fine. Well, what I've learned about myself is when I get to that point where I'm thinking about something unproductively, I've learned that that's a signal that I need good advice. Hmm. Like I'm just going to sit there going over this until someone who knows more than me can help me, you know, see the bigger picture. Yeah. And number four this is the last one, which I think is kind of cool. It says, stop or don't. Uh, avoid running from anxiety-ridden situations. This is an interesting Avoid one. running from them? Yep. Whoa. Yeah. Like, like actually, Im- like, face them head on. Hmm. You're afraid of heights? <laughs> Go bungee jumping? <laughs> Go bungee jumping. I mean, what if you die? Conquer like, what fear. if you have a heart attack? <laughs> uh, so the other day, I was, I was giving a talk at a church, and I got there, and I, I felt a little unprepared, although I prepared. Um, but it was a new talk, a new crowd, a new place, a new area. I didn't know anyone, all these things. And I started just to feel, like, anxious. Really? Like, it's going to go horrible. They're not going to like really? me. I suck. I mean, you've been in that situation a million times. A million but you times. But you still get anxious. Absolutely. Wow. Uh, so I found myself, I literally found myself with this self-talk in my mind of, like, I could call in sick. <laughs> I could pretend I'm out of gas. I... I, I could figure a way out of this, right? Really? Like in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, I wish I was just home watching a football game. That is hilarious. Like I'd rather be away from this this situation dealing with nothing, mm-hmm. right? Pretending like nothing is going on in my life instead of walking into the situation. And I, I had to 
pray and talk myself into facing that fear, that anxiety, and walking into that church and just giving the best talk I could, even if it did suck, even if people didn't like me, even if it wasn't a good message and I wasn't prepared, just to face it. And, and I remember after, I was like, I'm glad I did this, then called in sick and went home and watched a football game. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and isn't that so a job interview, an interaction with a person, a confrontation, a, a whatever, what, what it's saying is uh, we have to when we push through, it, it builds character in us and it and it and it helps us to build the virtue of dealing with the anxieties in our life instead of yeah. running from them. Yeah, and I mean, isn't that the definition of courage, where like right. you have it within you to where you know something's going to be difficult and unpleasant, but it's the right thing to do. So you somehow muster up. And I, honestly, Paul, I think we don't rely on the Holy Spirit enough in this particular area. When we think the Holy Spirit helping us, we think of, you know, inside or maybe in prayer, I get a word or an idea. But the Holy Spirit's there in those moments to really inspire a courage that allows us to go into that church head on like you did. Amen. So I, I want to encourage everyone today, like, hey, life's life. Mm-hmm. Embrace it. Uh, allow it. God to walk with you. Live it. Uh, we got a great show today. I'm excited about our guests today. Um, who I'll introduce in a minute. Surprise guest. We're going to have a really good conversation Surprise. today. So, it's the Paul George Show with Adam Kong. Be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Boom. Welcome back to the show. Paul George here. Excited to have our guest on the show today, Marcel Lejeune, from all the way from I don't know, College Station, Texas. Where, where are you, Marcel? Yeah, College Station, Texas. Home of the Aggies, so all your listeners better not get angry. Yeah, home of the Aggies. Anyway, uh, you can find Marcel CatholicMissionaryDisciples.com or on Twitter, at Marcel Lejeune. Uh, anyway, thanks for taking the time, dude. We've been friends, and we're kind of, you know, journeying parallel paths and even crossing paths at times it's kind of cool you're a speaker mm-hmm. uh, you, you know all over you've been in church ministry campus ministry uh diocesan work now you're doing ministry consulting uh through catholic missionary disciples.com so anyway thanks for taking the time man how's it going over there it's going well except i need a cold front a little too hot and humid for me. <laughs> Seriously. But life is good, man. It, it's it's an interesting adventure when you try to step out on your own and, and working in the Catholic Church, you know? I think that we're you and I and a few others are blazing new trails, and people who are blazing new trails always are going to uh, have an adventure on their hands. Yeah, dude, it's quite an adventure, and you've actually been on that a while. How many years have you been in full-time ministry work in the church? Uh, more than 15 now. Yeah. So it's it's been it's been a while, you know, and most of it was in campus ministry, which means that uh, in campus ministry, the average campus minister lasts about two years. So I was a long timer in campus ministry working at A and M, and absolutely loved it. I think that uh, one of the things about campus ministry is you, you're able to 
change things quickly, to experiment, to try things that are new. And I think campus ministry in a lot of ways has led the charge in kind of renewal and revival in a lot of ways in pastoral ministry in the church. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, you've been all all over. You've traveled all over, and now you're doing full-time um, ministry coaching with with churches yeah. and parishes and campus ministries. And, um, you know, you got a lot of great insight. Uh, so so here's what I want to do. Uh, how about we, we do uh, top do's and don'ts that you see yeah. in the church and in ministry? How about that? Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. All now, right. I got to tell you, the, the, the first one— and this is, it's almost cliche because everybody says it. The first one, it really is, you got to be praying when you're in ministry. And, and I think that people kind of almost take this one for granted, but it's so true. And the reason why is because it's not your power, it's not your worth, it's not your gifts alone that are going to go out there and do the work that needs to be done. It's God. Absolutely. It's God's grace. It, it's His Spirit. And if somebody's converted, if somebody grows if somebody changes, it's because God's grace has worked on their heart. And it's not just because you gave a great talk, you did a great program, you had, you know, that insight or whatever it might be, that you serve the poor. It was that God's grace was shown through you, and you were his instrument. So I think that prayer, really the way I like to define it, is it's the power of us spiritually to be able to be effective in ministry. Without it, we have no power. Yeah. And there's too many people I've seen, quite honestly, Paul, that, that burn out or aren't effective, and the reason why is because they're not praying. So you got to have that daily personal prayer. That's got to be your first do. Well, and not only this, like, uh, you know, I, I meet with people all the time, as you, as you do, and I'm like, how's your prayer life? They're like, you know, I'm not praying. And then I meet someone in ministry. They're like, yeah, my prayer life stinks. And I'm like, how are you mm-hmm. in ministry and your prayer life stinks? And then if you zoom out even more and you step into an organization, a spiritual organization, a church, a campus ministry, a school, and then you ask the staff, do you guys pray together? I can't tell you, probably 90% of the places that I go, staffs do not pray together or discern what they're doing in mm-hmm. ministry. Yeah, and people don't know how to pray together. I think that's their first issue, right? So, you know, it, it, I think that, so you go to a diocesan meeting, and what's the, the kind of standard diocesan meeting is the person who is tasked with leading a prayer, they pull out a piece of paper, they hand it out to others, and you all pray together. It's kind of this rote, you know, my heart isn't really in it kind of thing. And you, you spend two minutes doing this, and you think you've checked the box of prayer. That's right. the problem. This right. is a relationship with our Lord. This is Jesus Christ present, where two or more are gathered in his name. He's present in their midst. So if we really want to invite God into this process, into this place, we better really spend significant amount of time in his presence where we are intentionally uh, inviting him in and, yeah. and growing together as his people so that he can lead us. Because yeah. if we don't allow him to lead us, then who's leading us? We are. And yeah. it's going to be our efforts alone. Yeah. Talking to Marcel Lejeune, College Station, Texas, CatholicMissionaryDisciples.com. A longtime friend and minister coach. Uh, anyway, n- and not only that, like y- y- we can keep going on this one, but not only mm-hmm. do a lot of people not, you know, have a struggle with their prayer life, but then they they struggle as a staff or a team praying together. But then you 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 take discernment. Do they discern as a team what God yeah. is doing or wants to do with their church or their ministry? And that's that's a whole nother level uh, of trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. So what's God saying for you guys to do? 
and then people look at me like I'm crazy and they look at you. Yeah. Uh, but those are things that we help people with. And certainly, as you're saying, one of the top dues is prayer individually and corporately has got to be essential in ministry. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right, because, you know, we, we sometimes talk about discernment, uh, even individually or corporately. And, and what do we do with that? Generally, you know, you get a, a nice little homily about discernment, you know, think about the priesthood. Well, discernment's supposed to be in big and small stuff. It's supposed to be that we're allowing God to guide our decisions, and we know what His will is, and therefore we step out in faith to the best of our ability. Now, discernment is means that you already have a deep prayer life where you are inviting Him in to be able to speak to you. Mm-hmm. And, if we just talk about, hey, you need to discern your vocation without actually teaching people, well, first got to have a relationship with God, and then that relationship's got to be forged in personal prayer. And then if you want to discern as a people, every individual who has that per- personal prayer has to bring their own stuff together so you can pray together as a people of God so you can discern. Now we've got a big ball of wax because a lot of people <laughs> don't have that. We're missing a lot of elements, and we're just saying, hey, let's discern. And people think, oh, that's not hard. <laughs> yep. Well, actually, there are some things you got to do. Yep. And I, and I know for me, when I'm working with people, and you, we were talking about this, but, you know, when people are like, hey, we want to accomplish all these things, and we do all these great things mm-hmm. as a church or organization, uh, and then you and then they don't even know how to pray. It's like, sometimes we just have to start there, you guys. Like, let's just start with learning how to discern uh, as a team. All right, so what what's your next do? Well, the next do has got to be that you, you got to be operating out of a proper mission, and you got to have a proper vision. Now... People talk about this all the time. You know, the business world loves to talk about mission and vision and all this other stuff. But here's the thing. Here's the catch for us. We're Catholic. We believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And Jesus has already given his church a mission. True. We don't have to go write a new mission statement. <laughs> right. It's there in the Great Commission. Right. Um, we don't need some fancy pastoral mission statement to put on our parish website or diocesan website. We just have to be working towards the one that Jesus Christ has given to us. And, and can you imagine the early church fathers of the great saints of the church spending a week working in a long meeting trying Crafting to a know, mission. figure out a mission statement? <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. let's word this exactly the way we want to word it, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, look, <laughs> it's the Great Commission, everybody, and, and we know that. we got to go and make disciples of all nations. That's our job. It's to make disciples. In fact, it can, you can voice it in different ways. That's fine. But the wordsmithing is not going to change your ministry. It's what you do with it. Here's the thing. Once you have your mission, whether that's, you know, our job is to evangelize the people who are in our parish boundaries or whatever it might be. Let's just say it's go and make disciples of the people that are in, uh, you know, our territory or whatever. Once, once you have that mission statement, you need to use it. You need to be speaking it. You need to be talking about it. Once you have the vision of this is who we want to be, this is what we, who we want to grow to be, this is, these are our goals, then you need to use it. And you need to use both those things for what are we doing right now, what do we need to stop doing right now, what do we need to start doing, and how do we accomplish the vision by step, stair-stepping to get to that point. Yep. And too often I think the mission and vision statements are written and forgotten, not used. Yep. You know, and I will tell you, I've seen it so often where somebody will come and say something. You know, again, working campus ministry, our mission was to bring the gospel to the campus of Texas A&M, to evangelize those students at A&M. And so we'd have families constantly who loved our community, and they come and they say, hey, you guys need to start running a, a children's RE program because the families are coming. And we'd look at our mission statement and say, no, you see right here, it says we serve students. 
we can't do that stuff because it's not part of our mission. Now, we understand your need, and if you have a need that goes beyond what our mission is, we invite you to go to one of the local parishes who can help you out. But that helped keep us in that laser-like focus of this is who we are and what we do. And that's what parishes and dioceses need to be using it for because there's so many things that they're doing that are good things, but they're not God things. Yep. There are things that they need to be figuring out. What do we not do as much as what we do? Yep. Yep. And I know for me, like if someone doesn't have a clear vision of what their mission and vision is, where they're going, they don't, Mm -hmm. they don't have clarity on the steps to get there. And so one of the things that you do is help clarify that for people, uh, and, and reach that, uh, mission and vision talking to Marcel Lejeune, college station, Texas, Catholic missionary disciples.com. All right. Uh, do you have another do? Oh man, I got so many dudes. It's crazy. <laughs> All right. What, what's your next do? Cause I want to get in a couple of the don'ts. Yeah. First of all, here, here's, here's a do for people in ministry that ministry do ministry person to person, not programmatic event based. So we now we're even going into the don'ts, right? Don't, don't just do program events and you know, the, the stuff that comes in a box set. Uh, your your classrooms, your events, your programs, do them, but don't just do that stuff. Don't okay, so, depend upon that as if it's your ministry. Okay, so this, this is good. I want to break this open because I, I, I'm on board yeah. with you on this. Um, and, and we've seen this, the the bombardment of programs within the church. And, and so you're not saying don't do those, but yeah. but what are you saying? So, so what's the most effective thing to do uh, if you're going to say don't just do programs? Yeah. So first of all, if, don't just take my word for it, okay? Let's look at our Lord. Um, and, and if you look at what Jesus Christ did, he came, he called 12 men, and he said, come and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Notice make. That's the word we, get, we got. Not just the fishers of men. Hmm. I'm going to make you. That means it's a process. And how did he do that? So Jesus came to reveal his, the plan of the Father to us. And he didn't just do it by the doctrines that he taught, which the Church is very good at communicating, right? right? But he also did it in the model of how he lived and ministered to other people, and that's what the Church is missing in today's world. What's his model? His model is deep investment into a small group of men for three years on almost a daily basis. Hmm. Now, you and I, Paul, can't do necessarily probably this daily investment, but we can do deep person-to-person evangelization and investment in other people and then teach them how to live out this Christian life and how to be on mission and how to do it with other people so that we can multiply the number of people who are out there who are world changers. Right. Because that's really what we're supposed to be doing. Now, that, in, in a lot of eyes of modern Catholic ministry, unfortunately, is seen as inefficient because you got all these numbers of people coming to you, and it's seen as something that really isn't effective. And unfortunately, that's the model of Jesus. He revealed it to us, and if all Christians did this, we would be changing the world. We would transform in a generation this country. But what we don't do is this dirty, hands-on, inefficient work that really changes people's lives and invests in them. And that's really what we ought to be doing. And yes, run the programs, do the classes, and, and help other people but do the deep investment of other people and help engage them so that they know how to do the same with others. Yeah, it's a both and, but I would say if you had to pick one, uh, the most successful or fruitful, I would say, ministries that I've seen or have been a part of have been ones that have had a a commitment to relational ministry work. 
uh, mm-hmm. discipleship Absolutely. work. And so if I said, you know, if you could only choose one, I would say choose relationships over programs all day long. Uh, but the two can go hand in hand. And I think, you know, uh, effective relationships, discipleship building, relational ministry leads into good programs where people are fed mm-hmm. and learn and grow. And, and we need both. Uh, and they're essential. Okay. Do you have another, another don't? Yeah, another don't. That is, if you, and, and I'm going to get to the don't here in a second, but let's just say there's somebody, volu- a deep volunteer, you know, somebody who's working full-time in ministry, whatever it might be, you're very involved, and, and you're feeling a little fried. And like maybe, you know, the stuff we're talking about today is a little too much to take on. Then don't feel like you're alone. Uh, and what do I mean by that? This is a, this is a, a pretty big don't. First of all, you've got our Lord, you've got the saints, you've got that. But you also have people like Paul and myself who are out there who are trying to help other people to start to operate in a different way. So don't feel like you're alone. Don't feel like you've got to solve all the problems yourself. And don't feel like, you know, well, since I don't know how to do this stuff or I don't have it all figured out, that I, I can't change. No, that's, that's the point. Look, I've fallen flat on my face so many times in ministry, it's not even funny. And that's part of the way I've learned how to, how to operate in a better way, yep. to learn from my mistakes, to learn, okay, well, that kid told me no because they weren't ready to enter into this deep discipleship kind of relationship. So what, do I, what can I learn from that situation? That wasn't a failure. That was an opportunity for me to learn. And that's the way we have to look at things. So don't feel like you're alone and don't feel like you have to have all the answers. Yeah, and I, w- I would just add on to that just a different verbiage is just in if you're in ministry or work or in a church don't isolate yourself in that work mm. uh, a lot of times you're like well our parish does this or our campus man or you know our organization does this and uh, collaborate like learn and grow from other people and uh don't be afraid that you know to still you know like oh we're going to steal parishioners or take someone's dollar from another basket like we're trying to all together make disciples of yeah. the nations, and we need to link arms. Dude, this is good, talking to Marcel uh, Lejeune, uh, CatholicMissionaryDisciples.com. All right, before we close, because we'll have to do this again. I have to have you back on. We'll have a long conversation yeah. about this again. We can do this over and over. Um, radio magic. But tell me tell me uh, what you're doing right now. Yeah, so what I'm doing is I'm trying to help people, especially staff in parish and diocesan uh, staff, to help them to learn how to really hands-on do evangelization and discipleship in one-on-one and small group themselves, how to then pass that on to other people who can also do that, who can pass it on to others. So we're multiplying folks. But then also, to how, how do you reorient your parish, your diocese, your personal ministry around those principles? Um, so it's a ministry coaching thing. So how... So a lot of people I talk to, they say, man, that sounds great. I want to grow in these skills. I want to learn this new stuff. I want to be able to be a more effective evangelist and disciple maker. But I got all these other things on my plate. So the ministry coaching part also helps you discern, walk through, and figure out what is it I need to stop doing? What is it I need to start doing? How do I change? Um, What makes me more fruitful? And all of that. And there's a lot of homework that I give people. It's intense, and it's a lot of fun. But, you know, you can go to my website to find out more about that. I don't want to – I'm not here to sell things. I'm, I'm like you, Paul. I want, I want the church to thrive and grow for the salvation of more people. I'm, I'm just a passionate man for, for the fact that our God has created us all to go to heaven together, and I want to get as many people there as I possibly can. Amen. Amen. Uh, dude, 
thanks so much for taking the time. And although you live in Aggie land, we got to love yeah. each other. Uh, you know, so we just got it's to. It's ecumenism. It's ecumenism. You know, you're an Aggie. I'm a tiger. <laughs> you know, we, we cross borders, Texas and Louisiana. Although you do have a Louisiana name, we'll adopt yeah. you forever. All my all my family's from South Louisiana, at least the extended family. My mom and my dad, and all the cousins and aunts and uncles. Who knows? Somebody might be listening. You know, and, and we could be related. You know, because that's the rumor. <laughs> Everyone in Louisiana is related. So anyway, dude. That's right. Uh, Radio magic magic today, man. Thanks for taking the time, and uh, uh, we got to have you back on. Hi, right, bro. You have a good one. God bless. Hi, right, bro. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Paul George here. <laughs> Staring at Adam Conk. What a great interview. Marcel. Good guy, man. I don't, I don't even know what to do with myself right now. I, I love was, that guy. Got to have him back on. That was amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, you and I have been around the ministry world a while, and... He's, I mean, he's he's on to something. Like yeah, he's got a lot absolutely. of a lot of wisdom. It reminds me of you, Paul. Radio magic, Marcel, uh, can be. I don't know. He can be a guest every now and then. If he does a show, I should co-host it with him. That's like that would be a force to be reckoned with, kind of like Sonny and Cher. <laughs> I don't know which would be Cher, but well, he's bald. Okay, he's so bald. You'd be the Cher. <laughs> so I don't. I don't really know where I'm going with that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, what'd you learn from the show today? I mean, so much. I learned um, <laughs> so much. Well, honestly, I learned I'm not crazy, because as I do ministry work in the church and stuff, you know, I, I kind of see some problems, some issues, and I have some thoughts that are kind of unarticulated. Right. And a lot of things he said just was a good articulation of what you already feel. Yeah. 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 And yeah. So it's very. Uh, and I think that's why it's that. so important to be in relationship with others, because it's like, oh yeah, okay. So I, I think the same thing. That makes sense, and mm -hmm. it kind of reaffirms what maybe a decision that you've been feeling like you should make, yeah, but you didn't know if you should make it because you didn't know if what you were feeling was right or wrong. Right. Well, what did you learn? I learned that uh, you should uh, just face your anxiety head on. <laughs> Boom. Boom. I mean, just walk right into it. Yeah. Yeah. Just walk right in. Yeah. Life's hard sometimes, man. And it's know, okay. Own it. I like that. So that's what I learned. Cool. Uh, and I learned some other things, but that's one of the highlights. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I learned that you're getting a new car because your other one's falling apart. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it could keep going, but it's kind of at an embarrassment stage. It couldn't <laughs> keep going much Maybe longer. For a few months. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. All right. Anyway, uh, how about six pack of questions? Question. Question number one. So you and I are from Louisiana originally. We are. And we know Louisiana Catholicism pretty good. We do. But you spent some time in Texas, and obviously our friend Marcel's from Texas. That's true. Tell me about Texas Catholicism. I mean, because Texas, Texas is so unique in every way. So what, what does a Texas Catholic look like? I'd love to know Marcel's answer on this. <laughs> he, he would probably go off and be fun, really, really funny. Everything's bigger in Texas, man. Even the faith? Uh, even the churches. 
So they have some really big churches. I mean, they have some normal-sized churches, but they have what you would call, you know, you hear oftentimes maybe in the Protestant world, mega churches. Yeah. They actually have mega Catholic churches, you wow. know, 5,000, 6,000, 7,000 family churches. Like an arena. Like gorgantuous Dang. churches. So it's big. Everything's bigger in Texas. But I, I would say that, that this, you know, a lot of times you think South Louisiana is heavily Catholic, you know, population. Uh, wise, but um, you know, like East and South Texas. So Texas has a lot of Catholics, so there's a mm. lot of Hispanics, a lot of Latinos, you know, and then and then you got like a a blend. So there are a lot of Catholics, but I would say it's probably more diverse Catholicism than it is here because yeah. of the the Hispanic influence. Cool. All right, question number two. Yeah. So we talked a lot about you know coaching and giving advice to parish dioceses. I want to know what the worst advice you ever gave to someone about ministry was. The worst advice? Yeah, like you're, somebody comes to you, hey, Paul, I'm doing this ministry and whatever. Probably the worst just, advice I gave to someone is uh, that is that I told them that they should just keep doing ministry. And really what I should have told them is that you probably should stop. Wow. <laughs> Who was that? No, I'm just joking. Don't, don't give me. You know what I'm saying? Like I wasn't honest uh, about, you know, like – yeah, this isn't working. Like, just don't, you don't need to be doing this. Wow. And I mean, would people even be open to that, do you think? I was talking to a friend this week who does this in the Diocese of Pensacola, a guy named Chris Benzinger. And he's basically a consultant for the diocese, but he works for the diocese. So he goes to mm-hmm. every parish and helps them do basically what Marcel and I were talking about today. And we were talking about this that in leadership and leadership in parishes and, you know, churches, schools, whatever, uh, and, and really across the board. is like the worst leader is a leader who's a bad leader who thinks they're a good leader. <laughs> That's the worst type of leader. And everybody's saying, amen. <laughs> you know, and, and no one confronts that leader. Yeah. Uh, and even if you did confront that leader, they don't want to hear what you have to say because they think they're a good leader, but they're a bad leader. Yeah. They don't want to change. And so I guess my point is what I'm saying is like, uh, there's been times where I probably should just co- have confronted something a little bit more head-on pastorally in yeah. a nice, loving way, but I just didn't want to deal with it. I was like, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. It's horrible. <laughs> Question number three. So he mentioned prayer as a first do, and I like how he went beyond the cliche there to get to the real... I mean, it's true, right? If someone is in ministry right now, whether it's volunteer or... I'm just glad he, just, he didn't say do-do prayer. Yeah, that, that sounds terrible. Like when some people, you know, they say like, do, and then they... Add another do. Yeah. And it sounds like do. You can't put that on a bumper sticker. Do do prayer. Terrible. <laughs> um, what if someone is in a ministry position right now, volunteer or employed, and doesn't really pray? Should get, they get out or should they work within their own? How do, how do you handle that? Start from where you are. And if you have a desire to learn how to pray and grow spiritually, if you're going to be in ministry, you need to have a prayer life. You need to be walking with Jesus. I'm not saying you need to be perfect, have it all together, that you can't uh, experience normal life difficulties. Uh, but if you're you you can't take people uh, where you're not, and we we can't pretend. So so either if if you don't have a desire to do that, then get out. Nice. Don't do ministry. Do do something else. The church needs people who are praying, who are trying to walk with Christ, who are trying to lead people to Christ. And we're all broken, certainly, but we all need a desire if we're going to be in ministry to grow in our relationship with Christ. Wow. And I guess as you say that, it sounds sober, but I mean, really, it makes sense that. I mean, if we're not, it's not that we have to have it all together, but if we're not willing to work on ourselves, right. 
then Jesus can't work through us. Right. And not, yeah, exactly. We got to work on ourselves and we got to help other people work on themselves. And we got to be able to bring people what, where we've gone and, and been brought through. And then we got to bring people to Christ. If we're not on that journey, how are we going to bring other people to that journey? Mm. And a lot of times in ministry, people say, well, I can just step back and kind of organize things. And Marcel hit it on the head, man. Like programs aren't the answer for the church and people who don't pray aren't the answer. Yeah. So we can't just have organizers right. organizing the church. We have to have people who, who are spirit-led. Man, I love this show. So even if you're a secretary, like be praying for your yep. parishioners, praying for the people who walk in that door. Pray that you can have a conversation that might bring about someone's conversion or healing. God can use everyone yeah. in the church, and we all got to be praying. Yeah. Well, and that becomes the epicenter of grace for that parish, whatever position you're in. I mean, you might be the maintenance person or the pastor, but the one who's praying becomes the epicenter. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I I remember a friend of mine who works at a Catholic school telling me one of the most powerful moments he had was he walked into the bathroom one early morning, and there was a guy singing uh, Amazing Grace from the stall. And he, (laughs) he looked in there, and it was the maintenance guy on staff. Wow. And he was cleaning the bathrooms. And he was singing Amazing Grace. And he says it's like this spiritual moment where he's like, if that guy's praying and singing for our school, then what does that say about everyone else should be doing? That's more effective than the best talk at the best possible event, right? Absolutely. All right, question number four. He talked about having a focused mission and vision. So describe to me, my question is, what does a parish look like without Mm -hmm. focused vision and mission? Um. They do a lot of things that don't move them anywhere. So a lot of times what I see is, you know, they'll have a list of, well, we have 50 ministries. Well, what do they do? And where are they going? Where are they leading people to? Well, we have this, and we bring cakes to people here, and we do bereavement, and we do... They're all good things. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're, they're bad, but they're not going anywhere. Uh, they're not moving people uh, on a trajectory where we're called to make disciples, evangelize. So are they, is everything moving succinctly? And I think a lot of times what people, uh, fight against is what would happen if you minimized a lot of those things and did fewer things really well, Mm -hmm. you know? So I find that people who do have a vision have clarity on what things are working, what things they, they should get rid of, so they can focus on doing fewer things really well, taking people towards the vision and mission of where they're, what what they've highlighted. Mm. Man, a lot of wisdom today, sir. All right, question number five. He said that one of the don'ts was for people to not think they have to have it all together. As you work with people in ministries, is that prevalent? Like, do people feel insecure that they don't have stuff together and they feel like they should? Is is that a common situation? Yeah, I mean, you've heard it probably a hundred different ways. You know, Jesus doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And, you know, you hear it all these different ways. None of us, none of us are qualified to serve Jesus. Right. (laughs) None of us. Not even like, you know, if the Pope wakes up one day and he says, you know, I'm really qualified for this. And, (laughs) you know, like, I always knew I would be Pope. Like, if he didn't, like, no, like. Like none of us are, it's all grace. And I mm. think the understanding that it's Jesus in us, it's his grace, his saving power that even allows us to serve. And I think that posture is good. I think it's good. And then we just do it. Mm. We just step in and, and do it and say, God, use me. All right. 
Question number six. Last one. This is question number six. So when you attempted to say radio magic at the end of the interview, Shut you said up. you said radio maggots. <laughs> Did I really? Which is different. Yeah, you said radio maggots. Can we play that again? To... Which is different. Um, radio maggots. <laughs> so my question is. Is that a Freudian slip? Well, that's not my question, but there's another question for later, maybe over lunch. Um, no, the the amount that you put yourself out there, speaking, writing, whatever, I mean, you're going to make little mistakes, right? Yes. And I think a lot of times we're, we're just afraid of making those little mistakes so much that mm-hmm. we don't put ourselves out there. So how do you handle those kind of situations? How have you learned to, we, to deal so, with them? So what we do is we run from it. We run from the call. We run from the anxiety. We run from the leadership. We run from what Jesus is asking me to do even though it's hard to run from giving the talk or leading the group or the Bible study. Cause we say, we, I can't do this. I'm not, I'm not qualified. I, I, I don't have what it takes. I, this ties back into the anxiety part. I think mm. there, there's a part of just stepping out, you know, and being willing to take on the criticism that comes with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like every talk I give, somebody's going to probably think I don't like that guy or I didn't like what he said. And I don't know, I think early on in my life, I really let those things bother me. And now I really just have to prayerfully come to a place of like, I'm just doing the best I can with what I have. And I'm sorry mm-hmm. if, if, you know, if I accidentally said maggots, right? <laughs> and I got to learn to laugh at myself. Yeah. You know, I, I accidentally said a curse word one time during a talk, like, <laughs> like, like a church talk. It just flew out and I just and it was like a funny moment like I had to laugh it off and even if there was this old church lady who was like I can't believe you did that I was like <laughs> okay I'm sorry I'm I'm humble enough to admit that and to apologize but you know there's just moments and times where where yeah those things will definitely definitely happen cool well you certainly made some radio maggots today so <laughs> it takes one to know one <laughs> anyway uh great show man thanks so much for today thanks to Marcel and uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. You can share the show on iTunes or Google Play. You can get it at paulgeorge.la. Um, lots of cool things happening. And, uh, yeah, keep listening. Paul George Show. We'll be back. Mm-hmm.